Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 14th day of March 2014. And today we're reading from the Big Book. We're in the chapter, More About Alcoholism. And we are on page 34, and we'll be starting with the second paragraph that starts with, For Those Who... And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Tracy K, 12 Traditions, Rakifit, and then Chelsea, Hoodie, Lauren S., and Kim. And our share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 13th day of March is 6042. 6042. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Tracy Tracy Kay to please read the 12 steps. Tracy, you need to press star one, please. Sorry. This is Tracy, a recovered compulsive eater from Canada. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Tracy. 
and the 12 traditions or cassette. Go ahead, please. Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Rakesha, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California, the 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. Twelve, Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principle before personalities. Thank you for the opportunity to do service, and thank you, Monica. Pass. And thank you, Rakafet. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in a big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today, we are resuming our study of the big book, and we are in the chapter more about alcoholism, and we are on page 34, the second paragraph that starts with, for those who, and I am going to ask Chelsea to begin reading, please. Good morning. Thank you, Monica, for your service. This is Chelsea. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. For those who are unable to drink moderately, 
The question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish. Okay here. So how to stop altogether. That's where we're at with this. And in the text here, we're dealing with the second half of this step one thing, this unmanageability, our minds telling us that it's okay to keep doing this thing over and over and over again. And it also says, assuming one has the desire to stop. My experience in that was that I didn't have a desire to stop. I had a desire to lose weight when I came into these rooms. That was my desire because my purging and uh, binging routine had come to an abrupt halt. It wasn't working this time. I couldn't turn it back on again, and it wasn't working, and the weight started piling on, and 320-some pounds later, I'm banging on the bar asking how did I end up here. When I was able to control it, I thought with the purging. I thought that would settle the matter, but it hadn't. So I was bitter, angry, losing my teeth, a mess, a wreck. So it goes back to page 30 where it asks us, do we fully concede? Has the delusion been smashed? Or am I again returning to compulsive eating? Because for some whatever reason, any kind of trivial reason, it really wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter what the reason was. Some excuse said it was okay to go back and I could have had the food down for months. Years, sometime a couple of years. I managed to get a couple of years together, but they all fell apart again once I came under the delusion that I was like other people and I could eat again. I could eat normally again, or I could manage it. That was always my thing. I can get a handle on it. I was always getting a handle on it, but for some reason, I always lost my grip. And it didn't matter that the doctor was telling me that I was going to end up with diabetes. Over all this weight, my knees were killing me. I was just incapable. I was incapable of being able to put it down. And that was the baffling part. And again, trying everything. We've been through the laundry list of the different things we tried. But it was not until I actually experienced the powerlessness and was able to see somebody in whom they had the same powerlessness that I did, but the other half they had solved, the unmanageability. They had they had had a solution. And when I saw that and actually listened to, and it wasn't until, as my uh, guide tells me, tombstones in my eyes she saw, it wasn't until I was at that point that I was willing to take advantage of this solution and then take a course of action to get something done, not only to know about it, but to actually do something. Because I could be on this line forever, learning all this stuff, talking with you guys and everything, but if I don't put into action, into practices, these 12 steps, then I'm right back what we're talking about here. I'm, I'm saying that there's another way out there, possibly. I don't feel like I'm doomed. You know, I still think there's some kind of chance that I could beat this game. So for me today, once I really experienced my powerlessness and I accepted it and I was able to take a course of action, humble myself to listen to somebody else, to just shut up, do what I was told, 
I'm able now today to say, fully concede that I too am this thing. And I turn now to the source greater than myself, my divine director. And I say, how am I behaving today? How did I behave today when I do my checklist? How, how did I go today? What do I have to do tomorrow to make it even better than it was today, getting closer to my divine director? What do I have to do? Have I been behaving well? I go back into steps two and three regularly. Because how I'm behaving tells me what I believe spiritually. That innermost side, innermost inside of me, that deep, great reality. And I'm just so grateful today. I'm so grateful today that I can assume the posture of being humble and waiting and being ready for when the grace comes. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Chelsea. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Okay. Uh, oh, boy. Okay, I heard Lauren. This is Ken. Ken. Janice. Kim, was that Kim? Yes. Okay, all right. So, Lauren, Ken, Janice, and Kim. Go ahead, Lauren. Thank you. Lauren, Lauren Nasser, recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> that a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent which he lost the power of choice. Whew. This, um, I know people in program who have long-term sobriety, and they go to meetings, they read some spiritual literature, and they've had the same sponsees for over 10 years, and that's it. And yet they've been abstinent. How is that? How is that? You know, I'm sure you know other people that are abstinent, they go to meetings, they don't sponsor, they don't work through the big book. How is that? How are they abstinent? It baffles me. Here it tells us those people have not lost the power to choose because they don't need this spiritual basis like I do. Perhaps, you know, they've lost some power of choice, but I've I've realized, okay, now, okay, so my tone right now is sounding pretty judgmental. These, you know, we're all where we, we all have an extent to which we've lost the power to choice. If these people don't need the same kind of program I do, that's okay. They're where they need to be. But for me, this is telling me I have lost absolutely the power to choose. I, I when it comes to compulsive overeating, could not be more chronically, gravely affected, where I was going to die. I was suicidal, I was pre-diabetic, and I had trouble breathing. I mean, I was going to physically die, and um, I need a spiritual basis. So my program is strong and grounded in this, these spiritual tools because of how much I've lost the power to choose. But everybody on this line has has their own barometer of where they are, of where they are in their process, you know, where you are in your process. So so perhaps you can't stay abstinent by just going to meetings. Perhaps you can stay abstinent by, by, by doing what I do, is, is I have to work through the big book 
starting at step one at least once a year. You know, I can't, it's not enough for me to just live in 10, 11, and 12. Perhaps, you know, maybe it's important to, to really identify of how much, how chronically you are affected. Um, okay, thank you very much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Ken, you're up. Good morning, Monica, and thank you. This is Ken. The sentence that jumps out at me, this is the baffling feature of alcoholism. As we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Um, I, I certainly needed to leave it alone. And I sure wanted it, and I sure spent a lot of time wishing. Um, but I alone certainly was not able to do it. I didn't have the ability. And, you know, when I think about how much I wished it, wished for it, uh, again, to lose weight like people have shared, but I can remember so well the depths of the disease you know, one simple example was being in the hospital for a major infection and lymph nodes where I had major surgery. And after eight days in the hospital, said to my wife driving home, you know, there's a nice little ice cream shop down the road here. My throat is kind of sore. I mean, that's how desperate I was in this disease. And um, I really did come to realize, you know, that I alone, I just did not have the ability to do it. Not me. No way. And I finally came to believe that I needed a higher power. And thank you, God, it happened. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Ken. Janice, you're up. Yes, yes good, morning. good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we have an echo. Yeah, yeah we do. We do. Can you hear me, hear me now? now? Yeah, we still have an echo, Janice. All right, I can pass. Okay. okay. All right, and then we'll try again. Kim, That's okay. you're up. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. Am I echoing or? No, I think you're okay. Okay. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Unfortunately, I think this was a question I never really asked myself for many years in Overeaters Anonymous. I, I really thought, you know, if food and weight is my problem, then all I need to do is moderate my eating. If weight is my problem, then all I have to do is control my eating until I get to goal weight, and then I can go back. This isn't a, a permanent thing. I just need to have this abstinence thing until I get this weight thing under control. So we have to get to that point. Are we at that point when we're asking ourselves and accept that we cannot eat moderately? I am unable to eat certain foods moderately. I am unable to partake in certain behaviors and eat moderately. And if I've gotten to that point, then I need to ask, how can I stop altogether? And once again, if, if it was just the allergy of the body, then what I could do is I could confine myself to a certain room or a certain rehab and get those foods out of my system, and then I have the sanity to make the decision not to partake in that behavior, not to partake in that, in that substance anymore. But my real problem is in the mind. 
So if I want to stop altogether, I have to ask myself, how can I quiet that mind? How can I quiet that mind? And I love how it said, whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent which has already lost the power of choice whether he will drink or not. We, and we hear this in rehabs all the time. What is your drug of choice? Well, let me tell you, my drug of choice is alcohol. Because I drank through most of my 20s, I can match a lot of alcoholics story per story. But a sufficient reason happened in my late 20s. And a decision was made by me not to drink again. And I simply never drank again. I decided to try pot in college. And this is what a compulsive overeater I was. I decided to try pot because they had the good munchies. The people who were drunk would just get drunk. The people that got high had the best foods. I'm going to try this pot thing. I didn't particularly like it, so I made the choice not to do that. I have chosen over and over and over to not eat. But I knew I am unable to eat moderately, and therefore I have to ask myself, how do I stop altogether? And I think Lauren made a good point. It's very confusing when you come in and you see people making the choice in Overeaters Anonymous not to eat and just going to meetings and being okay and wondering why we can't do that. I just want to read, our third tradition says, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating. But if we read the long form on page 563, it says, our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. That's totally different than desire. All those who suffer from alcoholism. If you simply can put down the food go to some meetings, use dieting with support, and you can stay abstinent and be happy, God bless you. But please, I beg of you, do not sponsor someone like me. Do not sponsor someone like me because your message of don't drink and go to meetings will kill a real alcoholic because I am someone who is unable to drink moderately and I am someone who cannot quit on a non-spiritual basis. And what is the purpose of Overeaters Anonymous? The purpose of Overeaters Anonymous is to work the 12 steps because we are forced to work them because we need a connection with a higher power. Because as compulsive overeaters, as real alcoholics, we have lost the power of choice and drink. So we need to ask ourselves that. Do we fully concede? Do we accept? Am I someone who's unable to drink moderately? And if that is my truth, I'm going to have to ask, how can I stop all together? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And this is Monica, and I would like to share. I am a real compulsive overeater here. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous, extremely large urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling, confusing, frustrating feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter, absolute, complete, total inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I had plenty of character when I came into these rooms in my mid-50s. But there was also a tremendous urge at that point to cease this crazy eating I was miserable. I was I was I was just totally miserable. I was hopeless. I wanted to stop and nothing was working anymore. I was desperate. 
Nothing was working. What was I going to do? I could see the writing on the wall, and it wasn't pretty. And I did have this tremendous urge to cease forcefully, to to, to cease forever. (laughs) But I found it impossible, you know. And then I love the sentence here. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. The utter, complete, absolute, total inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And that's where I was at when I walked into the rooms of OA. You know, the food plan wasn't, and going to meetings wasn't enough for me. That was not going to do it for me. Because you know what? And this is something that really hit home for me here recently. The utter inability, the unmanageability of this disease. Number one, I couldn't, I, I do what I don't want to do. And number two, I don't do what I want to do. I was screwed. Totally. Because no matter how much I wanted, desired, thought about, I couldn't, I I continued to do the same things over and over again, expecting different results, and it didn't work. And so I was told, you're powerless, Monica. And Monica is a real compulsive overeater, and I am totally powerless over this. And I was told, you need a power that's greater than you. This is a spiritual disease, and I needed a spiritual solution. And how did I get this? I got it by getting a big book sponsor and working through the steps. Action, action, action. And that's, you know, and I'm going to give everybody hope. It's there for you, too. There is something greater than, than us here that can help us. And with that, I'm going to pass, and would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Larry. This is Penny C. Leah. Uh, Pe- Larry, Penny C, and Leah. Go ahead, Larry. You're up. Good morning, Monica. Um, thank you for your service. This is Larry, recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. So, you know, there is, uh, it says, there was a tremendous urge to cease forever. Um, no doubt I had that. Um, I was beaten down. It was impossible. And and baffling, you know, yeah, I was baffling. I was perplexed. I was, um, you know, I I just couldn't understand why I couldn't muster up enough effort to get this done. I mean, my goodness, I had accomplished so many things in my life that what is it about this food? It's such a simple thing, but I couldn't, but I... You know, I know today I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind um, that kept bringing me back. But here's the thing. I think with the spiritual, I needed to spend more, I don't know about you, but I needed to spend more time looking at this spiritual thing, this spiritual life, and really looking at what non-spiritual people do because that I really think in reflection that was me. See, non-spiritual people, um, which was me, uh, was constantly in judgment of others. You know, I categorize other people, you know, their physical appearance, their behaviors. You know, I would seek out ways to either ignore or take advantage or manipulate other people for my own benefit. And a spiritual person, which I am today, is connected to others. You know, to the best of my ability, I live my life by the golden rule today. When I used to hear that, that seemed like nonsense to me. 
you're going to get trampled. Live by the golden, you know, treat other people as, as you wish to be treated. That's why I can, when I feel a resentment today, I can pray for other people for precisely what I want for myself and not from a perch, not from a place of, uh, you know, I, I mean, and I can do that. And then the resentment, the resentment is removed from me. So I really needed to, I mean, I really needed to look at what, what does it mean to, you know, if I'm going to have this, I needed to drill down a little bit further. Because, yeah, I heard that, okay, this, is a, this program is a spiritual program. We need to work the steps in order to have a vital spiritual experience, a personality change, a complete overhaul, a change, an amend of who I am from the ground up, the core of my very being needs to change. I need to treat people differently. You know, I had a hole in my soul. I didn't have a problem with food. That was, that was one of my biggest issues was I kept going back again and again, and my focus was on the problem. And as I saw the problem, it was the food because every day I woke up and I wanted more food. And every day I tried harder and harder to put the food down. And my, it was a me, myself, and I attitude. Once I worked the steps and had a vital spiritual experience, sufficient to arrest this disease the problem has been removed again not cured but removed and can you imagine just envision the energy i have today to devote my life to other things i mean can you hear it in my voice either i'm a liar or i'm the real deal and you get to decide you know me and so many others am i full of it i'm telling you i'm changed and I didn't do it for myself. I had a change. I had a vital spiritual experience. I had a problem. Sure, I have an allergy of the body. Just like my daughter has a peanut allergy. I have an adverse reaction. And I have an obsession of the mind. Okay, but I don't need to focus too much on that. I better accept it. And I did. But now, what am I going to do about it? Do I really believe a spiritual, a vital spiritual experience is going to do this for me? Do I believe the God of my understanding is going to remove this for me? Guess what? I'll, let me, let me let, let's see another little secret. I, it took me a long while to buy that, that baloney. But now that it's happened to me, it's the real deal. I'm the real deal. You know, the 20, the 20 now I'm nothing special. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you the impression. I'm not anything special. I'm no different than you. We're the same. Wherever you are, we're the same. I got here on a big, major losing streak, as probably you did as well. I meant well. I had good intentions. But the world did not judge me on my intentions. Sorry. The world judged me on my actions. So when I treated people like crap, they stepped on my toes. I stepped on their toes. They stepped on mine and on and on and on. And I couldn't see my way out of it. And frankly, it pissed me off. Couldn't get out of my own way. Yet I had advanced degrees. I had all these things on paper. Looked pretty good. Life seems to be pretty good. You know, got a chicken in the pot and car in the garage, you know. But no, my life wasn't working. So yes, I needed to really get clear on what, do I want this spiritual awakening? Do I really want that? And once I determined that, yes, this was, you know, this was something that I wanted because I saw it in you. I saw it in other people. Not many, because many were like me. They were just holding their breath under the water. 
and eventually I'd come up for air and think I had it done, and then I would just go on a major bender, major binge. It's not like that anymore for me today. Today, I, can you imagine the energy I have to spend on helping others and, and being there for my daughter? I mean, I have a full day today. And by the way, I have a lot of crud in my life. You know, I've shared on this line. My dad has Alzheimer's. There's some economic um, insecurity. I'm not in a relationship right now. You know, I, um, there's all kinds of things that I would like, but you know what? I look, God is in charge now, truly. God is in charge of my life now. And so I just say, God, may, will you, you know, I'd like to align my will with yours. I've got, you know, lots of work. I, I teach. I do all kinds of things. God, please align my will with yours. Change me the way you want. How can I be of maximum service to, to uh, you and to my fellows? And it, it is amazing. The people that call me, the, what a privilege. Can you imagine living your life like that? I couldn't. If you saw me 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you wouldn't want to talk to me. You wouldn't call me. No way. I wouldn't call me. This program is about change. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Penny C., you're up. Did you call on me, Monica? I did, Penny. You're up. I was unmuting. Um, this this part of the big book always reminds me about a woman that I spent over a year in in once a week in the rooms of OA studying the steps and studying the big book years and years ago. And I saw her lose her weight. I I I saw her really really accept the program. At least it appeared to. And and then. Probably 20 years later, I was in a room where she walked in, in another area that I um, usually didn't go to, and she was on a walker, and she had the scars of a, a tracheotomy, and she was really, you know, really, really um, obese. And she cried through the whole meeting, telling us that the doctor told her that all of her problems, her sleep apnea, her high blood pressure, her diabetes were all due to her compulsive overeating, and she wasn't even a, um, a good risk for bariatric surgery at that point. And she cried, and she said, the doctor told me I'm going to die. I need your help. I'm going to die. And three weeks later, she died. And all I can think when I, when I think about Eileen, her name was, and all I can, all I can think is um, maybe this was the problem. When Abby visited Bill... And I'm just going to read from that part of the big book, uh, Bill's story. It says, um, faith without works is dead. How appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. And so, again, as other people have said, there's my solution. There's the answer. I cannot get abstinent. I, it's humanly impossible for me alone to get abstinent. It's all about enlarging my spiritual life and, and getting closer to my higher power. And I have to say today, 
after many, many years working these steps, mostly all the time diligently, I still feel that I'm getting closer and closer to God. So with that, I'll pass, and thank you. Thank you, Penny. And Leah, you're next. Go ahead. Thanks so much, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah, a recovered compulsive overeater. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I always love that line, you know. Um, (laughs) It is baffling, you know, confusing, frustrating, bewildering, defeating. I mean, I felt defeated. I, I had the uh, necessity. I had the wish. You know, I was obese. I was suffering from medical consequences. I had suffered from medical consequences from these other remedies that I had pulled out of my sleeve, like bulimia and anorexia. So I was full of all these medical consequences. Um, You know, with obesity, um, brought high cholesterol. I had shortness of breath. I mean, I was young. You know, I was, uh, what, 22, 23. I had high blood pressure. Um, You know, and that's just the physical. What about the mental torture I was experiencing, the emotional turmoil I was experiencing, uh, loss of, you know, relationships, basically no family relationships, basically no friends, Um, You know, I was experiencing isolation, I was experiencing deep depression, I was experiencing suicidal thinking, Uh, there were uh, discussions of divorce going on, Uh, you know, I would cry real tears at night, what the heck is wrong with me, why do I keep eating like this, why can't I stop, what's wrong with my mind, why am I not responding, why am I not learning from the consequences of my behavior? Why don't I respond to humiliation like a normal person? I mean, my whole family is talking about divorce here. (laughs) There's discussions of divorce going on. I've been married all of uh, six months here. You know, why am I forgetting to remember? I'm continuing to repeat that behavior, expecting different results. I'm not learning from my experience. I am not connecting the dots. You know, when I go to pick up that first bite, I can't remember the suffering. I can't remember the tears from the night before. I can't remember the torture. I can't remember the divorce threats. All I can remember is that sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once after taking a few bites and lasts about, you know, a few minutes. You know, I had a defective mind, and this, that's exactly what the uh, chapter here that we're studying, Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, is honing in on. Because this is the greater aspect of my disease. I have a defective mind. I was suffering from an obsession of the mind where one idea would enter my consciousness and it would dominate my mind in such a way that all other ideas to the contrary Like, hey, you might get divorced, or hey, you might have a heart attack, or hey, you know, you might get to such a point that, uh, you know, slicing your wrist becomes an easy way out. You know, all those other ideas that are entering my mind are shoved aside, and the obsession becomes my only reality. And there were times, you know what, there were times I thought I was making a decision, merely choosing to change my mind. Like, I'm going to change my mind right now, and I am going to pick up that first bite, and I'm going to start again tomorrow. Well, when I learned more about this obsession of the mind, what I realized and what I was taught was that 
I was not changing my mind. I was compelled to pick up that first bite beyond my ability to control it. Because since it was the only thought swirling around between my ears, I didn't know it was the only thought. You know, and and this cycle just kept repeating itself over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I got worn out. I got so worn out and exhausted from this disease, I got so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And until, you know, this disease emptied out any residual notion that I actually had any power within myself to help or heal myself, you know, (laughs) I wasn't done. I wasn't ready. But at some point in the beating, I was ready to admit 100% powerlessness. You know, I had to find an inner lack of strength. I had to be entirely dependent on someone, something outside of myself to save me. And that's exactly what this whole program is about. The steps are designed to relieve me of that mental obsession, to restore me to sanity. Because certainly the mind that I just described is not a sane mind. It's not soundness of mind. What the steps do is relieve me of that mental obsession. I am no longer subject to being hijacked by the obsession of the mind. But what was it that was going to restore my sanity? According to this text, it was not going to be any inner strength. It wasn't going to be any willpower or determination or self-knowledge or self-will or human creation. None of those was enough to conquer the obsession of my mind. I need a power greater than myself. This book makes it very clear. There's no mental defense against uh, that first bite. I can't find it or apply it on my own. That defense has to originate from a higher power. How in the heck do you get one of those? That is the purpose of the steps. And until I got that, I did not pursue the steps with the urgency and sense of desperation that I needed. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this powerful paragraph here this morning? This is Sharon in Colorado. I heard Sharon and someone else. This is Janice. Janice. Okay, Sharon and then Janice. Thank you, Monica. This is Sharon in Colorado, recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, thank you for your service, Monica, and thank you for everyone who shared on the line. Um, <clears throat> I was one of those who wanted to believe that somehow, some way, I was going to be able to drink and eat moderately. And uh, when I began to see that that didn't work, I don't believe I ever asked the question how to stop altogether. I still had that lurking notion that somehow, some way, someday, I would be able to eat like other people, like my sister, like like this person, like that person, and not suffer any of the consequences. So I was always comparing myself to people who were not truly, truly, like myself, compulsive overeaters. And so I struggled in this program for many, many years. And I uh, started listening to this Vision for You program in July of 2012. They were in the doctor's opinion. And all I can say is that going through that uh, chapter line by line, Paragraph by paragraph, God showed me that I was still trying to live and work this program based on a lie. 
And so how do I stop altogether? Well, I began to do exactly what this program told me to do and my sponsor told me to do. And I began working these steps just like the way they're laid out in the book. And this is, this is the baffling, baffling, cunning, powerful, like it says on another page, um, of this illness. And I am so grateful today that um, by God's grace and my seeing my mind for what it was, uh, an obsessive mind, and, you know, I can obsess about anything. And now that I'm working the steps, you know, I see the importance of this obsessive mind of mine. It has to do with how I respond and react to other people. I had about four or five expectations and disappointments yesterday that caused me to be, you know, restless, irritable, and discontent. And I didn't even see it for what it was until this morning um, by the grace of someone that I talked to today on the line before this meeting. And so that that is what God does is he shows me. I never knew how to live life. I never knew that from an early age. And as a result of that, food became paramount in my life. But today it is not paramount in my life. I use the steps of this program to keep that mind on track with God's purpose and plan for me today and to be able to see myself as I truly am and then to give that to God so that he continues to do his work in me so that I will not get back on that beat-the-clock situation with the vicious cycle of addiction. And so I am so grateful for that and I'm so grateful to everybody out here on the line And I encourage everyone to keep coming back like I have and see what a difference God can do in our lives when we lay down our guns and we accept and are willing to cooperate with God, not only with the food, but also with that obsession of the mind that God continues to heal us through the process of the steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Sharon. And Janice, you're up. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, thank you, God, for this book that explained me to me. It explained me in a way I had never been able to have that information come to me. You know, it says, we think few to whom this book will appeal can't stay dry anything like a year. Does this book appeal to you? It certainly appeals to me. Because here was information. Here was information explaining something to me that had seemed inexplicable. Inexplicable. I could not, could not find an answer to why I was the way I was. You know, we're going to, we're going to read in working with others, how those people talked to each other, told stories, told stories to each other. If, if in a good mood, humorous stories. If in a serious mood, serious stories, the consequences. That's what I needed to hear. I needed an explanation of why I was the way I was. So this paragraph was good news to me. It was good news. Because it said there's a baffling feature. And I went, 
oh my God, I found it to be a baffling feature. And there it was in black and white. Just like me, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how much I wanted it. No matter how great my desire, no matter how great my wish, no matter how great the necessity. There it was for me in black and white. There is a baffling feature. And this is it, Janice had said. This is it. You can't leave it alone, no matter how much you want to. And one of the best things I did, which I was invited to do, which I'll invite you to do, maybe it'll help you like it helped me, is to write down my experiences, my history with compulsive eating. Because I put it down in black and white, and there it was, proof positive that that baffling feature applied to me. I was invited to identify in and see if it applied to me. And if it did apply to me, then here was an approach. Here was a method, a spiritual basis that they were saying worked for them. And maybe it would work for me if it worked for them. Because it seemed like, as I read this book, I was right there in those pages. I was experiencing those same things. And as the reader, I wanted to stop. Because they, they said, we are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. And I desired to stop, but I couldn't. So here was the explanation about why I couldn't. And it gave me hope. And I hope it gives you hope. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, I'll take that as a no, and we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Hoodie, could you read the next paragraph for us, please? Hi. Hello, good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, um, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, how then shall we help our readers determine to our, their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. And as, um, you know, the paragraph before, we are here in morbid alcoholism where we're going to... Um, the, 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 these um, these people who have covered, they're going to sh- tell us what is the crux, what is the most important part of our problem. And here I thought, coming into the rooms of OA, I thought, oh, I'm just going to, this is it's all about food and weight, I'm just going to lose weight, and then I'll go on with um, in my merry old li- way of life, and um, everything will be fine. But no, because if, if food and weight was my problem, here I'm learning, food away is my problem, then I'm not going to need to work this program um, and go to any length. This is not life and death for me. I could just sit, go on a diet, lose the weight, and I'll go out and um, and be, and be live happy, joyous, and free. Um, well, or so I thought. But today I get, um, the, I'm learning here, what is, what is that thought? What is that thinking? The what is between my two ear, my two my two ears that is bringing me back to 
um, negotiate and, and try to get that food, that mental state that's keep, that keeps on telling me over and over and over again that um, that food is my answer to all my problems, that food is going to fix me, and food is going to make me feel good. So um, that is the that is the mental um, aspect, and I have thought, um, you know, and um, and we have warped in um, our mind into such an obsession for destructive drinking, eating in my case, that only an act of providence can remove from us. And that is the point of this book. And here they're going to show us, um, continue to show us examples of different, um, of, of the, have that, that thinking, have that thinking start, that insanity that brings me back to just, and how I forget. I forget time and time again that food is going to kill me and how um, that, and I'm so grateful that this is the most important, let me take care of my mind so that I could be joyous and happy and free. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Hoodie. And would anyone like to share on this paragraph? I guess this is Hilda from South Florida. Hilda, go ahead. Thank you so much. Thank God for the meeting today and every day. Um, uh, I I need to, I mean, I I definitely, um, I can connect that uh, it's not just the food. Um, And to be happy and joyous and free is definitely the need to turn things over to my higher power and to definitely um, practice the steps. Um, But I still have challenges. You know, like today there was, you know, um, to turn things over when I'm in a panic that my daughter didn't text me when she got to school. So I'm still working on how to deal with happy, joyous, and free and practicing this by practicing this step when there's things in life that are a little challenging. But thank God for the program. Otherwise, I would not have. The program affords me not to totally jump out of my skin. So I'm very grateful for the program and that sense of freedom that I get from bondage of focusing and obsessing with food is is um, is paramount for my recovery. Um, with that, I pass, and I'm very grateful for your service. Um, really grateful. Thank you, ma'am. Thank Sheila, you, Sheila. Sheila. Sheila, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you for your service. Wanting to check in and wonderful, wonderful meeting. I just absorbing it all. Very, very, very grateful for it. Um, yeah, for me, putting down certain things was challenging, but not as challenging it has been as quieting the mental chatter. That's what really gets me into trouble. Sorry for the announcement. I'm on a bump. Quieting that mental chatter, just yesterday it, it happened, and I just practiced the suggestion that I gave. Just kept turning the situation over to a power greater than myself and kept saying these particular person um, has a right to live the life they choose and that God is their higher power, not me, and just kept turning it over. And by God's grace, it actually lifted. And so, you know, I heard someone say today, you really have to practice just reading it and giving lip service. You know, I mean, not just today. I hear it every day on this line. You know, just reading and showing up at meetings and eating a certain way uh, and being absent for the day is not the only solution. You literally have to live with that and turn it over to a power greater than yourself. For me, that mental chatter really, really gets me into trouble at times. 
I'm grateful I have a solution today. Thank you for your service and impact. Thank you, Sheila. And I regret that we have come to the end of our time here this morning. And so thank you to everyone who has shared. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Lauren, can you read for us from A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only, please. Yes, I can. Lauren S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own health is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 